Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Pod bless everybody. I'm your host of OPP, Corey Cambridge. And before we get started with this amazing episode, I want to tell you about my other show, Silent Giants. Silent Giants is a podcast that highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. Ever wondered who made the MTV logo? Did you know the person who wrote Earth, Wind & Fire's hit song September? Also wrote the theme song for the hit 90s TV show Friends? On Silent Giants, we learn more about these amazing people and dig deep to learn more about their most famous works. Be sure to check out Silent Giants on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Now, let me introduce you to our special guest of OPP. What's up, guys? This is Ben Golliver with Sports Illustrated's Open Floor Podcast. You are listening to the OPP. God bless everybody and welcome back to another episode of OPP. Other People's Podcast highlights America's top podcasters and the dope shows they created. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Our special guest this episode is Ben Golliver, host of the amazing sports podcast, Sports Illustrated Open Floor. From the NBA draft to the playoffs and back again, Ben Golliver and Michael Pina take you on a ride up and down the NBA standings, laying out the latest news and rumors along the way, and leaving no basketball conspiracy theory stone left unturned. In this interview, we're going to learn more about Ben. We chat about all things Los Angeles basketball. We get his podcaster's picks. And of course, we get into his dope show, Open Floor. So allow me to introduce you to Ben Golliver. Yo, Ben Golliver, what's up, dog? Not too much, man. Thanks so much for inviting me. I understand this is like the podcasters, kind of like a writer's workshop. You know, when I was in college, we used to do like sit around the circle, share our stories, and everybody could relate to each other. I feel like you've crafted the podcast version of this, right? Oh, wow. I appreciate that. That's that's a, that's a an honor. Yeah, man. You know, I, I think it's an opportunity to uh, have podcasters and listeners tune in and learn more about their favorite podcasters because I know for myself, I do a lot of interviewing, but we don't get an opportunity to really talk about ourselves and talk about our show. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to do it. I mean, I, I love podcasting. I, it's something I've been listening to probably for more than a decade now. I didn't really get into doing one full time until basically 2016. So I feel like I was kind of late to the party. But I'm sure you feel the same way. When you're listening to a podcast regularly, all of a sudden those hosts kind of become your friends or sometimes like in awkward ways, like your mentors or your parents a little bit, like they're kind of like stand in uh, roles in your life. And so for me, now that I've done a podcast for like three, four years now consistently, it's so trippy to be on the other side of it where people will like email me and say, hey, something that you said really inspired me or something that you said angered me or like made me change like my, my normal day-to-day routine or whatever it might be. It's so weird to be on that side of the relationship. But I don't know if there's a more intimate form right now in media in terms of connecting to people than podcasts. I think some of the deepest connections in terms of listeners, uh, it's easier to form that kind of a connection, I guess, with the podcast as opposed to writing or as opposed to being on TV or some other format. So that's why I love it personally. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Tell me more about your background. Where are you from? 
So I'm originally born and raised uh, in Beaverton, Oregon, just outside Portland. I think people know about Beaverton because of Nike uh, World Headquarters. And so certainly that influenced me when I was growing up. It's just kind of a sports-rich environment. And I went to college at Johns Hopkins. I did the classic thing of like going as far away from my parents as possible. And then I kind of boomeranged right back after college. I kind of, I think, realized that I was taking what Oregon had to offer for granted a little bit in terms of the great outdoors, in terms of having an awesome basketball team, the Portland Trailblazers, and, you know, just everything else, you know, being around family. I moved down to LA here in 2015 and, you know, it worked out great for me because I started a superstar exodus to Los Angeles, right? So now LeBron James followed me, then Anthony Davis followed me, (laughs) Paul George and and Kawhi Leonard followed me. And now I've just got too many superstars in my lap. I I mean, I can't even uh, handle all the basketball, but I think, you know, from the, the standpoint of growing up in Oregon, you know, basketball is just tied into that culture. I mean, it's part of day to day life. Everyone has Blazers takes, right? So, if you go look, it's like a rich podcast space. I mean, there's lots of podcasts. There's a female-only Blazers podcast. There's multiple like you know podcasts associated with the site I used to write for called Blazers Edge. It's a place where people are opinionated and engaged, and you know, frankly, in a lot of cases, just in love with that local team. And so, I think that relationship between the community there in Portland and for what was you know for decades the only professional organization that they really had. That bond kind of, uh, you know, gave me my chance. You know, if, if there weren't so many engaged fans, there wouldn't have been people to read me when I first started out. And there wouldn't have been, you know, people to have conversations with and, and kind of go through that refining process that you go through as a creative person, as a writer or a podcaster to kind of get to a place where you're, you know, maybe a little bit more authoritative uh, than you were when you started out. So I always thank Portland for that. I don't get back nearly as much as I wish I could, but I certainly think it's kind of a fertile ground uh, for people who care about basketball and care about, you know, being in the media. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. How did your career in journalism start off? Well, look, I always tell young journalists, you're never going to be able to follow my path because it makes no sense whatsoever. Okay. I had no idea. Uh, I wanted to be a writer. Really. I probably should have been able to figure that out because writing was always my favorite subject, but I was just kind of clueless. I'm not like floating through life, but just, you know, not really knowing exactly what I wanted to do. And then, you know, 2007 happens and I'm working a, a desk job as a marketing uh, guy in suburban Portland when the Blazers land the number one pick in the draft and they're going to get to choose between Greg Oden or Kevin Durant. And I'm locked in as a basketball fan, as a Blazers fan, like I mentioned, I'm, I'm thinking, wow, this is a big moment for the franchise. I'm going to go home and start a blog and I'm going to call it Draft Kevin Durant. And I'm just going to spend every hour that I have that I'm not working trying to convince the Blazers to draft Kevin Durant. And I started to believe myself. I was like, look, if I could just make the arguments good enough, they're going to listen to me, right? So for the next month, I'm pumping out these blogs. I'm sending them to Deadspin, True Hoop, whatever side I can. I'm saying, look, guys, read what I'm writing. And look, it was amateurish. You know, it was just kind of like, uh, you know, funny and a little bit corny at times. I was just trying to get on the map a little bit. And I was crushed when they took Odin because I was like, man, there goes my whole career. Like <laughs> I was wrong. Like they didn't listen to me. And as it turned out, you know, it became clear pretty quickly that Durant was going to be the superior player. And I think it just you know, put me on the map. So from there, I started blogging basically as a moonlighting, you know, and at times unpaid situation where it was just like whatever I could do to get into the door. I kept my day job, but I also was was writing as well, kind of on the side. And I just was hooked. I fell in love with it. And so I had to build a career kind of step by step. And and keep in mind, like I didn't go to school for journalism. I never took a journalism class. I had to learn some of the basics just on the fly. Uh, And I was starting in my mid-20s, which I think for a lot of journalists, 
you're already being lapped, right? Because there's a lot of kids out there who are writing for their high school paper, writing for their college paper, who have uh, you know some years on you in terms of development as an advantage. I think my key advantage, though, was my voice. You know, I never was taught to write a certain way. I was never put into a box. So I was a little bit uh, maybe creative, a little sarcastic, a little punchy, maybe more than what people were expecting. And that helped put me on the map, too. And so I just slowly progressed from there. You know, I got a job at CBS Sports in 2010, right when the rumors and uh, the decision and LeBron was really becoming a big thing. I moved from there uh, to Sports Illustrated in 2012. And then I joined the Washington Post uh, last year in 2018. So it was a very gradual kind of step-by-step journey for me. Uh, But ultimately, what put me on initially was my love of uh, basketball and then just my desire to get into the mix with that huge kind of light bulb or, or lightning strike moment with the Blazers winning the number one pick. I often think, look, if those ping pong balls had just fallen a different way and some other team had gotten the number one pick, none of this would have ever happened. I don't think I ever would have uh, you know, figured out what I wanted to do you know, in, in terms of following this path. And I'm just so grateful for it and, and kind of feel blessed by it because it's completely random, you know, whether you're going to win a lottery or not. And for me, I really do feel like, you know, maybe I didn't strike gold, you know, I'm not, I don't have millions of dollars. I'm just kind of like swimming around in my uh, bathtub. It's, it's <laughs> not like a Scrooge McDuck situation, but I did get to have a job that I really love. And, uh, you know, it just took a while to materialize. Yeah. You know what, Ben, you have the type of job that I think every kid who loves sports dreams about, you know, covering a sport that they love. Uh, what are the challenges that come along with your job? Well, I'd say, first of all, you got to be all in. Okay. I mean, this is like a, you know, 24 7, 365 type of job. I think in the NBA now, we're getting basically one month off, which is nice during the off season, but it is a very time consuming and very involved uh, job. Just as an example, the last six nights, uh, I've been at basketball games. So it's been a back to back to back to back to back to back for me <laughs> in between the Lakers uh, and the Clippers uh, both playing. And so, you know, that, that kind of uh, requires being a priority in your, you know, in your life. You have to be willing to make that kind of sacrifice. And it also leads to a lot of late nights. You know, there's regularly I'm working until midnight, 1, 2 a.m., writing things or, or preparing to, you know, do podcasts or whatever else it might be. So it's a big time commitment. The other thing I'd say, too, is the travel. You know, from April through basically July, a lot of times I'm on the road almost that entire time. And so from that standpoint, you, know, you have to be willing to, you know, be away from, you know, family or, uh, you know, not get to go to that special person's wedding that you might well have wanted to attend because, you know, you have to be at a playoff game or you have to be at a, you know, a summer league event or whatever it might be. So I kind of always say like, you know, you're also a public figure, right? So you can't just tweet out crazy stuff. You can't have your political takes just flying on Twitter or whatever else. You have to conduct yourself a certain way and have a certain public presentation. And I think when you add up the time investment, the potential criticism that you might get as a public figure and just uh, the overall buy-in that it takes, you know, basically turning yourself, your life over to this kind of a job. I think for a lot of people that weeds them out. And for me, I think the the love of basketball and the love of writing has really kind of what's kept me going uh, through all of that. And I don't actually spend too much time worrying about those things. You know, I try never to whine about anything, but like the travel stuff, you know, it gets tedious at points. But for me, it's more like, look, do you want to be at the finals or not? If so, here's what you've got to do to, to make sure that that can happen. And, you know, I always try to keep a glasses half full mentality about everything. And, 
just remember that, you know, like you said, a lot of people wish they could uh, be doing this job and, you know, don't take it for granted. You know, that's, that's sort of my self mantra, but look, it, it gets tiring. You know, if you ask any beat writer, any uh, national writer for the, you know, the NBA, like, what would you change about your job? They'd probably say, well, I wish we had 30 hour days so I could get, you know, three or four more extra hours of sleep every night. Man, you, you might need some load management, bro. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I get it. That's the thing, too. The older I get, the more I empathize with a guy like Kawhi Leonard, man, because even just going to these games does get tiring. And I'm not running <laughs> like I'm walking. You know, it's not like anything uh, along the lines of what these guys are going through. But it's a reminder that professional sports is a big business. You know, I mean, 82 games a year, plus, you know, dozens of playoff games, plus the preseason games and all the other events. I mean, it's an all-consuming enterprise. They're trying to squeeze as much money as possible out of this sport. And if you look at the last 10 years of growth of the NBA, they've been very successful doing it. You know, kind of what they've been working on uh, has paid off. And so it's not like you can tell them, oh, shorten the season or, you know, give everybody, you know, a better work-life balance. I think uh, the capitalistic impulses of the leaders who are kind of driving this whole thing are really what's going to carry the day. Oh, from working so closely with the game of basketball, what have you learned most about the players, you know, or, or the responsibility of athletes or their their workout routines? What have you learned most about them? Well, tons of things. I mean, because coming in, I, I didn't really know anything. I think, um, you know, one aspect that I've really taken to heart is how early in, in their lives, a lot of them have committed to the sport, right? And so it's not just about, oh, I'm going to go to college for one year because they forced me to or if I could, I would try to go straight from high school to the pros. I mean, you're realizing that a lot of these guys have been set on their professional course at the age of 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. And so I sit there and standing in contrast to my own life. And it's like, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I was 22, let alone 12. You know, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was, you know, almost 25. And so for them, like your career is already over. If you decide you want to be an NBA player at 25, guess what? Like you've missed the entire thing. You don't have potential. You don't have upside. You're not going to get drafted. You're not going to get signed. You haven't had the proper training technique to even uh, get yourself onto the map. So you can just kind of forget it. And I think, um, you know, we lose sight of that. I would almost view a majority of NBA players as kind of like child prodigies, right? It's like if you're ready to commit yourself to your professional craft in your early teens, that's something special. And I think it deserves a lot of respect. That'd be one thing. The other thing that I've noticed, especially here the last five years, is how savvy they are when it comes to self-promotion, marketing, and media. And I really give a lot of credit to this, to like Twitter and Instagram for just kind of changing how you know, NBA players or athletes in general interact with their fans. But, you know, these guys just get it. Like you have to give people more than just what they can watch on the court, right? The biggest NBA stars are often the guys who are the best on social media too. I mean, it's a combination of being an amazing player, but also being really engaging and, you know, showing sides of your personality on social media. Obviously, LeBron is the best example of that. He's always showing his family. His kids are celebrities already, even though they can't even drive. Uh, his wife has got her own business interests going and all those kinds of things. But those are some of the aspects that I learned about uh, NBA players. It's sort of like that drive that have has them in position to become, you know, a millionaire as soon as they get out of college is that same kind of drive and entrepreneurial spirit that allows them to grow their own brands, whether it's with sneakers or other, you know, off-court interests so successfully. And I think um, not everybody's wired like that. I mean, certainly I've kind of had to rewire my brain 
you know, like going back five years, if you had told me, look, you never have to do a podcast. You can just sit up in a cabin and meditate and think about basketball. I would have said, that sounds great, you know? But, you know, even to keep a, you know, a writing job these days and to, you know, really flourish as a, a media personality, you've got to be comfortable putting yourself out there, whether it's on social media or with podcasts or with video interviews or whatever it might be. And I think for for some people, uh, that's not the most, uh, you know, natural uh, element uh, for them to succeed. And, you know, it's actually one situation where like, look, I'm seeing how NBA players are doing it and I've got to kind of uh, hop on board too. You know what I mean? Uh, you know what? Ben, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to do your podcast, Open Floor. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. And Ben, we're back, dog. All right. So Ben, how did you first discover the medium of podcasting? So I had done a podcast with Kevin Pelton of ESPN.com that we had called the D'Antonio Wingcast. And it was named after the, the former player, D'Antonio Wingfield, who actually happened to play for both the Seattle Supersonics and the Portland Trailblazers. Kevin was based in Seattle and I was based in Portland at the time. So it was a little bit of like a very tongue-in-cheek, like deep cut NBA diehard type of podcast where like, I mean, it sounded like we were talking on like, you know, tin cans and, uh, you know, it was very, very nerdy and statistically oriented, but I enjoyed the banter and we actually got a lot of positive feedback because people could just kind of tell our friendship, you know, through the podcast and they just, you know, were sort of, uh, you know, enjoyed, you know, seeing it play out on the air. That was kind of a first experiment for me. And then I really went dark for years. I would always, you know, do guest spots on other people's podcasts, but I never really wanted the responsibility of producing it and uploading it and editing it and all of that, because my main love really was writing. You know, fast forward to 2016 and Sports Illustrated, they kind of came to me and said, look, like all you have to do is be a co-host. You don't have to produce it. You don't have to edit it. You know, all you have to do is basically, uh, you know, have your takes. And so I, that said, okay, well, that makes, you know, a little bit more sense to me. I think I can carve enough time to do it. Uh, but at the same time, I was in the mentality of not necessarily being a personality yet, right? I was just more in like, okay, I'm a writer, so I'm just going to kind of, you know, say what I think and and keep it simple. And a lot of times maybe be a little too careful or too cautious, a little too, uh, you know, political, you know, because like in the NBA, there's a lot of egos. Uh, There's a lot of people who are going to be sensitive if you say something. And so I was kind of cautious, I guess, at that point. After doing the podcast for a couple of years, it's like, all right, What's the heater take? I'm going to let it go. If this melts the internet and like gets me like a hundred emails of people calling me an idiot, that's fine. As long as I truly believe what I'm saying. And as long as, uh, you know, I have support and, you know, kind of reasons behind it. And, and so that was more of my own evolution as a podcaster of just realizing, look, speak from the heart. Uh, don't be gun shy, make sure you're prepared and make sure you're, you're willing to stand up and, and take the criticism if you're wrong, but try to be entertaining uh, and informative at the same time. You know, don't get too boxed into the idea of like, oh, you have to be sort of sounding like an encyclopedia. I mean, so that's kind of been my journey with podcasts. Hopefully I'm at a, a more entertaining and a, a better place than I was a few years ago. But, you know, a lot of it, frankly, started from just being a listener and uh, kind of being enraptured by other people talking about basketball and then thinking like, hey, man, like I-, I can do that. You know, this is all I really care about. It's basketball and, 
you know, a few other things in my life. I don't live a very balanced life. I might as well be talking about this, especially uh, if it's something you can get paid to do. Yeah. You know, coming from the world of, of being a print and being a writer, uh, you have such great, such a great voice and such great command over a microphone and owning a conversation. Was that a skill set you already had or did you have to develop that through your podcast? No, it's repetitions. But I would say this, and this is advice I have for anybody getting into the media. Say yes to every interview because you never know who is going to become the next Jim Rome, right? Like someone's going to be the next Jim Rome, like that big time, like guy who can carry a national show. He becomes an icon for 10, 20 years. And actually Jim Rome is a guy I looked up to when I was a little kid, listening to his shows and the mentality of like, have a take, don't suck. I mean, I think that's applies now really more than it ever did. So I think from that standpoint, if you say yes to every interview, you're going to get a chance to work out the kinks. And so for me, I did a lot of that on local sports radio. You know, I might be taking a call from the middle of nowhere, South Dakota or Idaho or whatever else, but I try to approach those interviews as if it was like a national show. What am I trying to get across? What points do I want to make? How can I punch and jab a little bit harder to, to keep people's attention? And I think through repetitions, you just naturally get better. I mean, it's like any, uh, you know, it's like any other profession in the 10,000 hour rule, you know, like that Malcolm Gladwell always talks about. I think that applies for media people too. And then with the podcast, a lot of it's rapport, right? So it's not just your own self-improvement, but it's developing a bond with a co-host or, you know, a fellow media figure where everybody's comfortable. You're not wasting time. You're getting straight to the point. You're exchanging ideas. You're bantering. You're arguing. I mean, usually to me, that's kind of where the the real magic of podcast happens. And you just can't do that from day one. You know, it has to build up over time. There's no shortcut to it. And so that's why I always tell people, like, if you're considering doing your own podcast, start today, because first of all, no one will be listening and you'll get your repetitions without embarrassing yourself. And if you build up and get good, uh, you might as well start that clock running earlier rather than, you know, saying, oh, I'm going to do it a year from now. I'm going to do it from two years from now. You know, because if you start then, if you delay, if you procrastinate, you're still going to have to learn on the fly and you're just going to push the the date back even further. You know what I mean? For the guests who have not listened to Open Floor, uh, give me an elevator pitch for the listeners. Yeah, look, it's uh, basically two people talking basketball. For for years, it was me and Andrew Sharp. Uh, you know, he was kind of in that lead host role. I was in the analyst role. And we're taking questions from listeners. We're debating the news of the day. We're breaking down trades. We're, you know, ranking players. I mean, whatever it might be that that basketball fans care about. We're doing it in kind of a two-man format back and forth. So a lot of debates, you know, a lot of arguments, but also hopefully some natural agreements as well. It's a show that I'm really proud of. Uh, you know, we built it basically from scratch. And the key element for us was uh, listener involvement. Uh, pretty early on, I just randomly came up with the name Open Floor Globe, you know, kind of similar to like, you know, Cowboys Nation or Niners Nation. But for me, I put the globe on it because we had listeners kind of from basically every continent who were emailing in with great questions. And, you know, a lot of times saying like, I don't have anyone in my city who I can even talk basketball with because nobody else cares about basketball here. So I'm going to ask you guys this question so that you can kind of, uh, you know, be my outlet. And that just struck me because, you know, I can easily picture myself being stuck somewhere, you know, without that kind of a community. And so we just try to open our arms up to basketball fans everywhere. And it really has stuck. I mean, every episode, you know, to this day, you know, we're taking probably five or 10 questions from people, you know, whether it's from Italy to New Zealand to Australia. We had some from Mongolia. One guy was on the, the Great Wall of China when he emailed in. I mean, so you know, this kind of thing, you know, you almost don't believe it as a host. 
But I think it's really helped to fuel the show is, is that audience participation. And it brings in new and different perspectives. It helps us break out of kind of conventional wisdom about, you know, players and teams. And it just kind of creates a, you know, a richer conversational environment. What do you want the listener to walk away with after listening to an episode of Open Floor? Well, with our show, like it's a lot of inside jokes or, or recurring references. So I want people to, you know, feel a part of the community, right? Like I always picture listeners maybe trying to explain our podcast bits to somebody who don't listen and then just failing miserably because it's like there's no 10 second version of the of the on running joke about whichever player it might be, Giannis uh, Atenacupo from Milwaukee or whoever else. It's sort of one of those things where it's like, listeners are saying, you know, I can't even explain to you what these guys are talking about. You just need to listen yourself. And like, they're almost acting as our recruiters to sort of expand uh, uh, our audience. That's kind of what I hope for, because I want them to feel bought in. I want them to feel heard and and listened to, like I mentioned earlier, you know, if you're that basketball fan, uh, whether it's, you know, Israel, Italy, you know, Denmark, uh, England, uh, New Zealand, and maybe you've only got a few guys you can top coops with, and you guys have got this argument and you're sending in the argument to us, so that we can act as the the judge and jury, right? We want to be that that people for you so that you feel like your experience with basketball kind of has been validated and so that you feel like, you know, you're part of a group that's, uh, you know, bigger than your, your actual friend circle, like in real life. I think that's what's most important to me. And then also, I like to just have my own knowledge expanded and challenged. You know, I, I'm constantly trying to learn about hoops it's kind of a lifelong pursuit. You're never going to get there, right? There's no finish line that says, now you know everything about basketball, so it's done. The sport has evolved a ton here in the last five years in terms of what should be valued, what shouldn't be valued, uh, who are the most useful kind of players. Uh, you know, if you drop Trey Young into the NBA in the 1990s, he's coming out bumped and bruised, and he's you know he's never even seen the court. You put him on the court right now, he's 20 years old, he's going to be an all-star, right? So that just tells you how much the sport has changed and, you know, for me, it's like a lifelong pursuit, right? Let's learn as much about basketball and have it as enrich my life as much as possible. And certainly the podcast definitely helps me do that. Ben, we're at a point in the show called Our Podcasters Picks. Now, this is when I ask the guests of today's show to give me their top three favorite podcasts that they love that we should be listening to and describe them and to the audience. So, Ben, take it away. I'll be honest, these are not deep cuts, okay? But I do, they're all very important ones to me. And so I'm going to uh, explain why. First one, No Dunks, Inc. Now, they've been a basketball podcast that's had a bunch of different names, the Basketball Jones, the Starters over the years. But they were sort of the first basketball podcast that I ever got into. And I think that they've just been such important trailblazers along the way in terms of the community involvement that I mentioned earlier, being really clever and creative on social, understanding that it's not just about the actual games, but stuff like fashion and you know comedy that are sort of related uh, or adjacent to basketball that could also be potential podcast fodder all these guys were just on it so early that you know I view them they're almost like the Bill Russell of podcasts in terms of like everybody else owes them a debt they were sort of like the first major figure you know in this space so they they'd be my number one podcast number 2 I don't know if you listen to Love It or Leave It it's like a stand up comedy show by John Lovett from uh, Pod Save America he has just like a rotating cast of comedians and they go through sort of like the weekly news. I listen to that show every single Saturday morning when I'm working out. Uh, it gets me pumped up for the weekend. Like, you know, it's like, usually you might approach the weekend like, oh, it's time to relax. But when I see that podcast in my feed, I'm like, all right, great. Let's get out there and work out and like just laugh for an hour because he's so funny, clever. And he also just kind of catches me up on the news in, in ways that, you know, it's just like more digestible than your typical uh, news podcast. 
And then the third one that I've really come to like recently, it's uh, Stay Tuned with Preet Bharara. And he's like, you know, this very incredibly intelligent lawyer. And he's got just such a calm and soothing voice. He's a master at explaining complicated legal topics in a very simple and digestible way. He's got great co-hosts. He's an extraordinary interviewer. Like when he's interviewing, uh, you know, whether it's politicians, other lawyers, uh, other, you know, professional prosecutors, whoever it might be, there's just no BS to the interview. He gets straight to it, but he's not harsh. He just has a, a really good, uh, you know, bedside manner, if you want to call it that. You know, that way he puts people at ease, but he gets great stuff out of them. And so I, I really admire his podcast. The other benefit of his podcast, though, is that I sometimes have trouble falling asleep. If I've already listened to his show, his soothing voice puts me to sleep just <laughs> in a, just this like very light and textured way, right? So sometimes I'll just go back and listen to his show from like a month ago if I'm trying to fall asleep and he helps me do that. So I owe him a huge debt. He's like, uh, you know, I'm not trying to say like he's boring in any way, but he's just got one of those uh, voices that could be used like on the Headspace app. Like he would have an amazing Headspace audio file if you ever wanted to do that. Awesome, man. Awesome. And Ben, before we get out of here, why do you podcast, brother? For the conversation, for the laughs, really. I mean, more than anything, I think with writing, you might have a funny one-liner and sometimes people will reply to it on Twitter and be like, oh, that was a good line. But it's not that immediate gratification that I think sometimes performers sort of seek, right? And I think with podcasts, if you if you get a good joke off on a podcast, first of all, hopefully your co-host is either laughing or fake laughing. It's an incredibly important aspect of podcasts is the fake laugh. I've I've learned that one the hard way. But also, you know, we we kind of built the audience up uh, over the course of the last couple of years. Where like if I have like a meme or just like a you know a, a one liner that I've prepared, you know, sometimes people might clip that audio file and share it on Twitter, right? Or they might just email me immediately and be like, oh man, that, like, that made me like, you know, spit water through my nose or whatever else. And like, that's kind of what you're going for, right? Like if you're a podcaster, a lot of times you're the ham at the, the dinner table, right? Like at, at Christmas, everybody's looking to you to lighten the mood and, and to make the jokes or Thanksgiving, kind of same deal. And that's kind of, you know, the podcast sort of replicates that format. So I'm always hoping that, uh, you know, I can, you know, say something that either makes someone think differently, makes them engage, makes them learn but it really hopefully makes them laugh. Uh, and if I can do that, I feel like that's a success. And uh, hopefully I'm getting that feedback from them and you know, then I get more out of it than they do. Ben Godwin, man, I appreciate you being on the show, dog. I'm a big fan of Open Floor and big fan of what you do, man. I'm a big fan of basketball. So we have a lot in common. I like you. <laughs> well, hey, I appreciate that. And look, don't, don't hesitate to move out of New York, bro, because you're not going to get Good basketball in New York, really anytime soon. Okay, I take it back because I'm a big KD guy. So if KD comes back, he might save your life. But if you're not prepared to completely embrace the Brooklyn Nets with Kevin Durant, you might want to consider moving. I'm just saying. You, you know, look, I used to take these jokes personally, but now it's just, you actually <laughs> care about me. Like this. <laughs> no, look, everyone else has done it, okay? The New York to LA, like, uh, you know, midlife move, that's a very common move. There might actually be like, you know, 777 explicitly for, for people like yourself in the situation who just need to come to a better spot in their life. There's plenty of room in LA for you. Okay. I could help you find a new apartment if you need, I got you covered. Uh, don't be afraid because the basketball out here, it's going to be good for the next five years straight. I can't wait. Look, let me tell you, it's funny you mentioned Headspace. I had just applied for a job there at an interview. So I'm trying to move out to LA dog. I'm, oh. I'm trying to make that move happen. Well, look, 
this is coming together perfect. All right, so we're going to do another episode. We're doing another episode in six months where you're telling me all about your new job and how much better the basketball is out here and how we're making fun of the New Yorkers for not getting on the wave. Is that it? You got it. You're the man. Have a good weekend. All right, bro. Take care. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of OPP and to our special guest, Ben Golliver. You can find his amazing podcast, Sports Illustrated Open Floor on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. This episode was mixed by Compost Media Flow. Music for this episode was produced by Richie Quake. And are you down with OPP? If so, check out our website, opp.news, for the latest in podcast industry news, podcast reviews, and our latest exclusive interviews. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter as well. Well, I'm your host and editor-in-chief of opp.news, Corey Cambridge, signing off. Till next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.